Uh, if you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Um, let me get there and look and see where I want to start. I'm going to read to you this, the, that section of Scripture, but there's one verse I really want to focus in on. We'll start at verse uh, 12, all right? So verses 12 through 18 is this passage of Scripture. Uh, and I, I'm going to read to you the whole passage, but I want to hone in on one, one particular verse of it. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. Let's go to the, let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here this morning, with, or this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here. Thank you, Lord, for our church family, each one you sent our way, for the roof you put over our head, the blessings you poured out on us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. You've been so good to us, Lord, so much better than what we deserve. But yet, Lord, uh, we thank you most of all for your son Jesus, Lord, for that is the greatest gift that's ever been given. And we didn't deserve it. We're not worthy. We're not worthy of your grace. We're not worthy of what you've done for us. And we know that and we recognize that. And you knew that, but yet you did it anyways. And so, Lord, let us always have praise and glory on our lips for you because you alone are worthy of it. And, Lord, I just pray as we go forward here tonight in this service, God, I pray that you've been glorified in everything that's been done so far and that you'll continue to be glorified in everything that is said and done in the remainder of this service tonight. Lord, my heart's desire is to lift you up and to keep you lifted up. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would just search the hearts of each one that is here tonight. Lord, you know. You know where we stand. You know what's going on in our lives, Lord. You know the things that we look at and the things that we listen to. You know the things that... Uh, that we desire for and we lust after, Lord, there is nothing that is hidden from you. So, Lord, my prayer tonight is, is that you would just move in a mighty way. God, that you'd convict us of where we fall short. Lord, if there's any of us, let anything in that doesn't belong there, anything that comes between us and you. God, let tonight be the night, Lord, that we would, uh, Lord, that we would realize it. Lord, that you would convict us of it. Lord, that you'd bring it to our attention. God, that we would repent of it and get it out of the way before it's everlasting too late. And so, Lord, my prayer is, is that everybody here would leave saved and on their way to heaven. And, Lord, I just pray one more time tonight for this church, for this congregation, 
especially for this worship service here tonight. Lord, move in a mighty way. Do what only you can do, and we'll give you all the glory for it. And Lord, let me ask something for myself. I need your help tonight. I know what you've called me to do, but I also know that I'm incapable of doing it on my own. So Lord, I'm asking for your anointing, for your holy unction. Lord, I'm asking that you'd clear my mind of everything except your message, your thoughts, your words, and that you'd place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say here tonight. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just move in a mighty way. Lord, that you'd use me as your messenger tonight, and I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory. So have your way and your will in our midst. We love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I want to draw your attention to verses 15. Let me read 14 with it too. But, but 15 and 16 is where I wanted to draw your attention to. But 14 sets it up. 14 tells us to do all things without murmurings and disputings. Right? Uh, so it's telling us to straight up, fly straight, uh, not to be backbiting and talking bad and mouthing and fighting and, and, you know, to do all things without murmurings and disputings, okay, without grumbling. But then it goes on in verse 15 and says, Why? That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Can I stop there for just a second? We get confused on the sons of God, right? Uh, that we actually have went to the trouble of writing new Bibles today to change where it says sons of God to say children of God, right? Gender neutral Bibles, right? It's a thing. And from the most part, it's not a brand new translation. It's updates of other translations that they come around to bring gender neutral. And the thing that gets me on the whole thing is they totally miss, they just don't get it. They just don't understand what it is that God is trying to say. Whenever Now, there's times when the Scripture uses sons of God, and it would be just as fitting to say children of God or sons and daughters of God. But there's other times where it's talking specifically about our inheritance, right? And so you can go over and you can read, where is that in Galatians? It tells us that there is, not, uh, there is neither male nor female in Christ, right? It talk, that's where it talks about there's not Greek and barbarian and, you know, Gentile and Jew, right? And it says there's not male nor female in Christ, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. When it refers to us as the sons of God in this kind of context, it's talking about, it's not talking about your gender. It does not matter what your chromosomes are or whether you're physically male or female. It is talking about your place in Christ. If you are not a son of God, you have no inheritance. You are not a co-heir with Christ, a joint heir in Christ. You are none of those things if you are not a son of God. And it has nothing to do with male or female. It is about referring to our place, who we are. Whether you happen to be male or female... You are a son of God. If you're one of his, if you're saved, if what we like to refer to as a child of God, your position in Christ is that you are a son of God. And that's what it's talking about here. They may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. Without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked 
and perverse nation. Can I stop there? That's why we have the other nonsense. It's because we live in the midst of a perverse and crooked nation. We absolutely do. Right? That's the time. That's the world that we live in. That's why we have so much nonsense to wade through. That's why there's so much garbage. I see a bunch of the children sitting in here, and, and it just pains me. All the nonsense and all the garbage and all the lies and all the deception that is fed to you guys, right? Everywhere from the school to YouTube to TikTok to Instagram to whatever, Facebook, wherever else you're looking. The devil is looking for every opportunity he can to fill your minds full of garbage. The reason that, he want, that we may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, while living in the middle, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, is this last part, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Right? The light of Christ shining through us, in us and through us, in the midst of the darkness of the crooked and perverse nation. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life, right? The word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, right? The day of Christ is when Jesus comes back, right? So Paul is saying that he may rejoice in the day of Christ, in the return of Christ, that I have not run in vain neither labored in vain. That I have not run in vain, Paul is saying that I have, that I have not run in vain and I have not labored in vain. In other words, the work that I have done, that it has not been in vain. So, here we are, the last Sunday of January, 2023. We're one month into this new year. And I know the question comes through our mind because the enemy plants a seed in our minds, but why? Why should we put out so much effort? Why should we try so hard? Why is it that every year we're encouraged to try harder and to do better than we did the last year, right? What's the point, right? That's the question that could be asked. What is the point? It, 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 seriously, look about this. In these troubled times that we live in, I'm sure this question has crossed the mind of many, many Christians, right? We look out and we see the world is falling apart, right? You don't believe me? Look at what's taking place and what's been happening in Memphis, for instance, just here in the last few days, right? The world around us is literally crumbling and falling apart, right? I talked to a gentleman this afternoon at lunch or after lunch, right? And he was talking about the country that he's originally from and why things are the way that they are there and the, and the risk, and it just boils down to, you know, he was saying the immoral people. It boils down to a people without Jesus Christ, without a, 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 a Christian foundation, without any... Uh, any ideals of what of decency and Christian values are, in other words, a perverse and crooked nation. We look out and we see, and look, and my point is, this is not just our country. Right? The world is falling apart. Satan is having a heyday. When we look at our own nation, which is supposed to be a light to the rest of the world, right? We actually look at a country that is morally 
bankrupt churches that are absolutely full of apostasy. Apostate pastors behind the pulpit. I literally, this afternoon, somebody had pointed it out to me, and I had a few minutes where I thought, I'm going to check it out because it goes with what I was thinking about and going to preach tonight. I don't know how many is familiar with Andy Stanley, right? He's uh, Charles Stanley's son. He's a pastor of one of the, uh, what is it called, North Point or something like that, one of the largest churches in the United States, maybe one of the largest ones in the world. Literally watched a clip from his one of his latest or more recent um, series is where he talked about how the Bible in itself is not sufficient. It's not enough, right? I, I, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It is crazy. Listen to me. The Word of God absolutely is sufficient. It is infallible. Word of God, it's, better, it's what you better live by. It is what you're going to die by. There's no doubt about it. It is what you will be judged by. It is the Word. It is sufficient. It is the answer for everything. But we live in a world, a country that is morally bankrupt, full of churches that are full of apostasy. The people of God are absolutely plagued with worldliness. I would venture to say, I mean, I don't know this, but I would venture to say probably the most unpopular topic to be preached in a church today is holiness. Now, come on. There's a few churches where God is blessing and they're doing good, but most of the churches that have the appearance of something happening, let me ask you something. How often do they preach on the holiness of God? How often do they preach they really call out sin? I don't mean just some real broad in generals and soften it and butter it with, well, I am and also and God loves me and he loves you and you need to love yourself and, and all that stuff. Listen to me, that's not, get, that's not helping nobody. Might put a few numbers on the board because it tickles itching ears. Apostate churches, morally bankrupt world, people of God, God's people, or the ones that are supposed to be God's people, plagued with worldliness. So it's inevitable. Satan comes along. We already feel, have this, you know, def- defeated. You know, when we look at things this way, we, we begin to feel defeated. Right? He adds to that, and we, the questions start to be asked, why should we even try? Right? Why try to buck the system? Why try to uh, rock the boat? Right? Why try to fight the inevitable? Right? I mean, you know, the inevitable is, is that, you know, that you know what's being told to church leaders? One of the most things is it's happening in churches all around us right now. Close your doors on Sunday night, right? No reason to have a Sunday night service, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we used to go to church too much. We need to go to church less often now. That's what's being told. Come on! And so we begin to think. Why rock the boat? Why fight the system? Why try to fight what is inevitable? Right? The attendance is, you know, goes down. And so why keep on? And we start to think, I'm saved. We're saved, right? We're going to heaven, right? I mean, we understand we, we've not been saved by works, right? We're, we're not saved by works. We're not kept by works, so we understand that. 
So we begin to think about that, and so we start to start thinking, what is the point in praying? What's the point in praying for these things? What is the point in even going to church, right? That'll cross our mind, right? What's the, what's the point? I'm saved. I'm on my way, right? And, and if I think going to church is what, you know, makes me saved or keeps me saved, then that's works, and, and I'm, you know, I'm working against myself there if I do that. So what's the point in, in, in even going, right? And so if that's the case, then what's the point in even trying to win people to Jesus? They're going to do what they want to do already. They've heard in this land, in this nation that we lived in, right? They've heard the name of Jesus. They know what it's all about. They've rejected him. So what's the point in trying to win people to Jesus? What's the point in trying to live a godly life in this present world? What is the point in fighting the old carnal flesh? Why not just do what's the easiest? That's the model and that's the fight. That's what the enemy comes at you with. That's the logic and the reasoning that even your brothers and sisters in Christ will use. Well, I started to say somebody, but it was Sandy who told me before church two points in a poem. I got a couple poems I read, but I'm not very good at them. I got three points in the story for you tonight, all right? Point number one, fellowship. Do you know what separates us from God? Sin does. Do you know when we have a relationship with God? Do you know what that's called? That's fellowship with God. Sin is what comes in the way. It's what separates us from God. And I'm going to tell you right now, right up front, what's the point? Why do these things? The thought of losing that sweet, intimate fellowship with God is motivation enough for me, right? It's worth it to me just to be able to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? I'm going to be like Noah, right? People ask, how long did it take Noah to build the ark? I don't know how long. There's one place in chapter 6 where it talks about 120 years. We could debate what exactly that means, but that might be a good time frame on how long it took him to build that ark, or it may have took him 100 years, or it may not have took that long, but it took him a long time to build that ark. Right, And by our modern standards and our modern way of thinking and the way that uh, we do church today and everything like that, there sh- if, he, if there wasn't hundreds, if not thousands of people saved, then no, it was a miserable excuse and a failure. But the problem is in the world's eyes he was a failure, but in God's eyes he was not. And so anyways, when we look, the scripture tells us that there wasn't hundreds saved, there wasn't thousands saved, but there was only eight souls that was saved. And if that was, I've been blessed far beyond that, but if that was the extent of my ministry, Devin, if that is the extent of your ministry, and you labor an entire lifetime, sacrifice and give everything, physically, that this world has to offer. Listen to me. It's worth it. Just to have that sweet, intimate fellowship with God. Just to know God has, he's called me and I'm fulfilling the calling and I'm doing what God, despite what the world says, despite what my own flesh wants to do, I am doing, despite what my pride tells me to do, I am pushing all that aside, I am crucifying the flesh daily and I am marching on, not looking back, but looking forward, keeping my eyes on the prize, glory to God, doing what God has called me to do, following the example 
of many saints that has gone before me. What's the point? It's worth it to me just to be able to have that sweet, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible is clear. God is a father to those who separate themselves unto him. What does that mean? Separate themselves from the world and all them things I just talked about and devote themselves to God in his work and make it priority. Right? That's where we have a problem today. We don't have a problem so much with God just as long as he doesn't have to be priority. Right? If he's not priority, is he really God to you? I'm not so sure about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. That's pretty clear. And then he says, And I will receive you. And verse 18 goes on and says, And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. If you go one more verse, right, that's the last two verses in chapter 6. You go one more verse to chapter 7, it says, Having therefore these promises, the promises I just quoted to you, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Doing things, listen to me, I'm just going to give you a piece of life advice and I'm going to move on. Doing things God's way makes for a much better life. I, I, do you want to know the difference between a smart person or a wise person? When I say smart, I mean in wise and someone who's not. Someone who's wise or smart, they learn from other people's mistakes. I'm not going to call them dumb or stupid, but someone who's not is found and determined to make them mistakes themselves. And then if you want to go farther down the list, they don't even learn from their own mistakes. Learn from my mistake. I've done it both ways. I was 27 years old before I got saved. I lived life both ways. Doing things God's way makes for a much better life. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what your reasoning says. I don't care what your thoughts, your parents, your whoever, your teacher, whoever says. Doing things God's way makes for a much better life. When we do what we're supposed to do, life is just so much better. Right? Serving the Lord and striving to please Him is the greatest life that you could possibly ever live. So point number one is fellowship with God. What's the point? Fellowship with God. The second one is for me personally, uh, and I hope this don't sound wrong. I, I tried to figure out how to say this, but faithfulness, right? That's a motivation for me to press on is to strive for a testimony of faithfulness. That's a testimony. Look, I don't care anything. I know my kids would love for me to leave them a million dollars. If I didn't manage, if I had it and didn't manage to spend it before I died, I sure would leave it to you. So I ain't got nobody else leave it to you. But I really don't care about that. I really don't. What I do want to leave is a testimony of faithfulness to God. 
That's what I want to leave, right? That's, that is what I want to leave behind, right? And, and 1 Corinthians 4.2 tells us, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, I know I was talking about a lot of things, but listen to me. We are stewards of God, and we are to be faithful. Faithful in all things, everything that God puts in our possession, right? And one of those things is our testimony. We need to be faithful and found faithful. And it is a requirement for me as a steward to be found faithful. Faithful, and that's a good reason to fight on. That's a good reason to continue on. The point is, is my mood does not factor in. My level of excitement is not important. How successful I feel that my ministry is, or is it, or I am in life, whatever the case may be, it does not matter. How many people are encouraging me is not an issue. My mistakes and my failed attempts to get to get it right is irrelevant. The point is, is that I stay faithful and keep going because that is what God requires of us. You know, if you look in Luke chapter 18, uh, you've got the parable of the, some Bibles title it as the inopportune uh, widow, right? In other words, it's a widow lady that just bugs the judge to death, uh, getting what she wants. At the very end of that, the very last of verse 8, I think it is, Jesus says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. I think that part of that verse is a, for me, it's a personal challenge. I think for all of us, it's a personal challenge. I think Jesus has called us all out right there. He's thrown down the ultimate challenge. Will he find any that have remained faithful when he returns? And I'll tell you this much, I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know if it's tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, or 10 years or 100 years from now. But if I still have breath in me, if I still have life, I have determined that even if I am the only one, I will be found still believing, still loving, still serving God. What about you? Will you be there with me? We, I've already set my mind, set my calf. I'm not bragging to you tonight. I know I'm not fallible. I'm, I'm, you know, I am fallible. I'm not infallible. I am susceptible to the attacks and the tricks and the, everything the devil is up to and dependent on the Holy Spirit and dependent on, on the Lord to keep me just the same as what you are. But I've already set my cap. I've already determined uh, no matter what and no matter what it costs me, I am going to remain faithful. Third point. I've done one of those things I hate tonight, but it was just too good not to. Fellowship, faithfulness, fruit. Fruit. I started out, I said, what is the point? Well, the point is this. The unsaved in our community need us. Our children need us to stay true to God. The missionaries on the field that were the foreign fields that we talked about this morning, they need us to stay faithful and to keep giving. 
The new Christians need us to help them to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the point, the fruit. The point is, is Jesus could come back any time. And right now we are running out of time. The clock is ticking. And if we stop the the sowing of the seed, we'll stop. Uh, If we give up, the gospel message uh, will not continue to be spread. If we sit down, uh, the work will go unfinished. Uh, If we throw up our hands in defeat, the world will die and go to hell. That's what the point is. That's why. I come across this story, and I'm I'm going to close with it, Jennifer, so the end of this story, that's your cue. I don't know where it come from, who come up with it, whatever, but I thought it fit. A general sent for a soldier and gave him an urgent mission. He says to him, take this message to the front line as quick as you can. The soldier saluted the general and ran in double time to complete his mission. Now, let me stop there. I wasn't in the military. I don't know what double time means, but I think it means fast, all right? He's in a hurry to get it there. Story goes on. After five miles, he came across an old man sitting exhausted by the road who yelled at him and said, Hey, soldier, these food packs need to get to the front, and my weary bones are too tired. The helpful soldier loaded them in his pack and resumed his journey at a fast walk. It wasn't long before he met a nurse taking care of a wounded man. Soldier, she called out. I have medical supplies that are urgently required at the front line. Can you take them? He again loaded the the medical supplies up and continued at a slower pace. Many miles later, the weary soldier came across a truck with a flat tire. The driver called out, lend us a hand. These rifles and ammunition are needed immediately at the front. Again, the tired soldier added to his load and trudged on. Just when the front line came into view, the soldier fell to his knees and collapsed unconscious on the ground. The burden was just too great. A day later, a day later, the general come by and revived him. Soldier, why didn't you complete your mission? The soldier repeated weakly, I couldn't. My load was too great. The general looked at all the supplies the soldier was carrying and said, I didn't ask you to carry all these things. Your mission was to get an important message to the front line. That message was everyone was to retreat immediately. As honorable as your intentions were, you have failed your mission. Lives that could have been saved are now lost. You know what Satan is doing? doing everything he can to load down your pack. Doing everything he can. You've got an important message. Now, your message is not to retreat, but you've got an important message. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that's a message. 
It is to take to a lost and dying world that are dying and going to hell without it. And Satan is doing everything he can to load down your pack, to slow you down, right? To get to keep to delay you from as long as possible, if not forever, from delivering that message who God has sent you to deliver it. And in so many of these things, just like this soldier, we think we're doing a good thing. We think we're doing the right thing. Would you stand to your feet? Who is it? Who is it that God has called you to take the message to? What is it that God has asked you to do? Right? I told you tonight, you know, why is it that we should try harder, strive harder? What's the point? The point is, is there's people dying and going to hell without the message that we've got. Our job, and I talked about some other things, that fellowship with God is sweet, right? It is good. That testimony of uh, being found faithful, that's important to me. But the most important thing is that fruit, that third one, right? Those souls, right, that need to be added to the kingdom of God. And it will not happen unless we take the word of God, the message to them. So I'm going to open the altar and I'm going to invite you to come tonight. Spirit of God is dealing with you. Would you come tonight? If you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come tonight? As I have preached and, and maybe told this story at the end, if God began to put on your heart or remind you of some people or burden you with some people, would you come and pray for them tonight? Whatever the need is here tonight, would you come? Maybe it's for you. Maybe there's some things going on in your life. Maybe you just need a touch from the Lord. Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come tonight? Would you come?